Hello, everyone. This is Food Talk executive producer Rob Perra. Danny will be conducting interviews here every day, talking with experts on food and agriculture, and discussing topics like the impact of COVID-19 on the food system, unsung food heroes, how climate change continues to be a threat to agriculture, and other pressing social and environmental challenges that impact farmers, eaters, and the economy. Today on Food Talk, Danny interviews Kristen Swaco, Executive Director of Local Food Hub. They discuss the impact COVID-19 is having on small farms in Virginia. Suwako shares how Local Food Hub is helping make sure food from local farms reaches local customers. Enjoy the show. Today, I get to chat with Kristen Suko, the executive director of Local Food Hub, which partners with Virginia farmers to increase community access to local food. Kristen, can you say your last name for me just to make sure that I have it? I didn't butcher it completely. You did not butcher it completely. It's Suwako, as if it had a W. Should have asked you before. Thank you so All much. All good. All good. Um, Kristen uh, began her career in, in Washington, D.C., working for the Natural Resources Defense Council and the U.S. Department of uh, Energy. She has worked with the W. Alton Jones Foundation and the Blue Moon Fund. Um, so she has a wealth of experience in a lot of different areas, but I'm so glad she's working now on, on local food systems. Um, Kristen, thank you for joining me. I hope you and your colleagues are safe and, and healthy during this time. I know you're exhausted. Thank you very much. Uh, it, everyone is well. Thank you. That's We're great. We're glad to have good work to do. Absolutely. Keeps you out of trouble, I'm sure. Um, so I, I want to take a step back. I don't think all of our viewers and listeners really understand maybe what a food hub is. So can we just sort of talk about that, you know, maybe a, like a 30, 40 second overview of what a local food hub does? Absolutely. So the food hub movement really started um, a little over 10 years ago. And a food hub is officially defined as any uh, organization or business that is involved with the aggregation um, and distribution of food from local farmers. Food hubs take many, many different forms. Uh, They can be for-profit businesses, nonprofits like ours is. Um, They can be virtual. They can be um, physical with warehouses and trucks. And they're all very unique to the communities where they uh, where they serve. And what makes the the local food hub uh, where you are in Virginia so unique? It was one of the first. Um, so it was founded in two thousand nine, which was right at the start of this whole um, this whole movement. And uh, it is a nonprofit hub that began with an actual uh, business of buying, aggregating, and selling local food. Um, And that is not completely unusual, but it was a little bit unusual. Mm -hmm. Um, As a nonprofit, in addition to doing the the business um, aspect of things, the local food hub also uh, established a number of programs around what I like to call sort of the scaffolding around the food system. So Mm -hmm. assisting uh, farmers with the kinds of um, technical issues that uh, that they were facing and navigating this whole new marketplace, as well as uh, looking at food equity issues within the community. So right. developing programs to make sure that uh, the food system is as um, is as equitable as it is local and good. Um, and so it was kind of an unusual model. Um, it has evolved over time, and we can certainly talk more about that. Well, I'm sure you've had to evolve quite quickly over the last five and a half weeks to take on a lot of 
different things that are happening because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So maybe talk a little bit about how you're still trying to create this access to local food and, and, you know, create um, a market for the farmers you work with to, you know, make sure that that market is intact. Absolutely. Um, so uh, just to take uh, one further step back. So sure. um, when I referred to kind of how we've adapted, um, about a year ago, we uh, we partnered with uh, another food hub, which I know you've interviewed on your show, um, 4P Foods, Tom McDougall. Mm-hmm. Um, they are doing most of the, they are, they took over the distribution portion of what local food hub had been doing so that we could really double down on farmer services um, and, and right. the food equity issues. And that has proven to be, um, if I say so myself, <laughs> a pretty smart move because it has sure. meant that um, that 4P Foods has been able to really step into the distribution part of the, of the exploding, literally, demand uh, for local food in this pandemic. And we've been able to really double down on, these, on this, the, the programmatic pieces and helping farmers um, really navigate, once again, a new landscape um, in local food. Uh, so, you know, the, this pandemic is really forcing people to think hard and deep about their connection to local food. And, and, and right. you know, people have really looked to the local food system uh, to meet their needs. And so a couple of the things that we've done are, first of all, um, we've created a series of drive-through uh, farmers markets, micro-markets, right. we call them. Um, and we call them micro-markets just because we, the, the number of vendors we try to keep, um, you know, to, to just a few to really make it work both for them and for the, and for the customer. Um, but it has been, um, I think, incredibly, an incredible testament to how farmers are adaptable, how local food systems are adaptable, and how customers are adaptable, um, and how much they're really seeking a connection uh, with their food system at this point in time. Sure. We, we talked to a farmer's market uh, group in uh, Minneapolis a few weeks ago, and they were talking about their drive through markets. Can you explain your process? Sure. Um, so we have adopted an online inventory system and ordering system. Uh, farmers enter their product on a weekly basis um, with, you know, correspondence with, with local food hub. Um, the sales go live at a specified time which we let our customers know. So they are able to, to get on and see all of the products. It is a scramble. It's amazing how quickly it actually sells out. Uh, right. So they're able to see all of the products um, and order from each of the individual vendors. Um, the, the ordering time is open for usually about two or three days. Um, that gives the vendors time, you know, usually about a day and a half or so to, uh, to actually fill the orders. Right. Um, and then we have it, we, we've uh, secured a parking lot, um, which is an underused parking lot in, uh, in the center of town. And we've, we've got it for, a, um, the, the owner has been extremely generous in letting us use that parking lot. And the vendor set up at a, you know, at a good distance from, from one another. Sure. And as people arrive, um, they have assistance from our staff in getting their trunk open, getting their name labeled on the, on the front of the, the car and so forth, you know, answering any questions. Um, and then as they go through the line past each of the vendors, 
the vendors have their names and their orders and they put the items in the back of their, their trunk. Um, so it means no contact with purposes, um, you know, in the car or with the product or anything like that. But it doesn't mean that there isn't interaction between customer and the, and the farmer. Um, they do have an opportunity through a window or whatever to, you know, exchange greetings and, and, you know, talk a little bit about the product or, or whatever. So, um, so it, uh, that's, you know, generally like logistically how it works. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that the, in terms of how we've designed it, it's really designed to be a like ultra safe, um, but also a very well-rounded experience. Mm-hmm. So our um, our staff has done an amazing job of really curating the, the products and making sure that there's right. a mix of vendors, um, so that you get a you know a mix of cheese and bread and you know, other dairy products and produce and, you know, at, at each of these markets. And we do several of them so that it's not limited to, you know, just one set of vendors, but there, there's, right. and there are a variety of days when people can, um, you know, can shop and, and, and go pick up. So it's no, worked it's, incredibly well. Yeah. It seems very efficient and sort of learning from like kind of assembly line factory, like uh, methods, which I think is interesting at combining sort of that high, high and low tech in a lot of ways. And um, I, I know food justice is a real concern for the hub and, and making sure people have access and can afford food. And I, I think, you know, for, you know, we're talking over a uh, stream which is this great service. I have great internet. You have apparently great internet. Not everyone has access to a steady internet connection or even a credit card or a debit card. How do we make sure the folks who, you know, are, are, uh, you know, who lack those things can still shop at a farmer's market or shop at a local, you know, through the local food hub like yours and, and, and still get fed. Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess a, a few things we have, I, I want to give a huge shout out to, um, to a local coalition here called the Charlottesville Food Justice Network, um, which is tackling that very issue from a number of different angles. Um, One of their angles that they have uh, traditionally um, been working on is markets and gardens in communities that don't have access to to other types of markets. And um, they are gearing up to to get those uh, gardens and those markets um, going again this season. From local food hubs perspective, we have you know, we've also tried to tackle it from a number of angles. Our sort of signature program is something called the Fresh Pharmacy Program, right. which has traditionally been a fruit and vegetable prescription program in partnership with a number of uh, local uh, low-income health clinics. Because we have a five-year track record of running that program, in the in light of the pandemic, we were able to pivot and start that program a couple of months early. Nice. Um, and uh, make it available more broadly than just through health clinics. So the, the beauty of this program is that it is, first of all, ideal for a lot of small farmers and giving mm-hmm. them a, um, a market um, avenue that they might not otherwise have. Mm-hmm. Um, and it provides people with food that is not only uh, nutritionally important in a time of right. severe health danger, uh, right. But also food that is delicious and 
you know, and holds an, a certain amount of dignity. I mean, right. I think there's a difference between getting a box of, you know, pre-prepared food or, you know, highly processed food and, and food that really nourishes your soul and your, you know, and your family. And so we, we're thrilled that we've, you know, we've been able to get this program um, up and running early. We've had a lot of community support for it. So, um, and that's just one of many, many efforts um, in, sure. you know, in Charlottesville and, and in the area. Um, we also work really closely with 4P and their um, kind of more regional effort on, um, you know, feeding the community. But, um, mm -hmm. but that's just one example of, of something that marries our local farmers with, you know, with those in need in a, in a way that, you know, unfortunately only a pandemic can kind of bring to the fore. Uh, yeah, crisis brings opportunity for sure. And if anyone is interested in listening to Tom McDougall, uh, he did a great live cast with us. It's on our podcast um, uh, a few weeks ago. So it was uh, with 4P Foods. Um, you brought up some interesting things. You brought up the word dignity, which I, you know, is so important when we're talking about these issues. And I think it gets forgotten, especially during a crisis like this, when it's just like, oh, we need to get food to people no matter what it is. And, you know, you're you're talking about the kinds of foods that people need to have healthy, strong immune systems. And we've been talking to, you know, public health uh, advocates and experts over the last few weeks who are saying, you know, people not, you know, we, we don't want to create more diet related diseases because of this pandemic, which then, you know, in turn make you more susceptible to getting this virus, you know? So I, I think it's a, it's such a, it gets lost when we're just trying to talk about, you know, filling people up rather than actually nourishing them. Absolutely. And uh, my hope is that when this pandemic has passed, everyone across the food system remembers what the local food system did for them when the chips were down, right? right. Whether it is, you know, having to replace trips to the grocery store, or whether it is getting that nourishing food that really helps build, um, you know, build immunity and makes makes you feel healthy and like you can, you know, maybe actually stand a chance against this. Um, you know, what, whatever it is, I, I want people to really remember that it was local food systems that really made the difference during this time. Um, and hopefully that we don't go back to, you know, sort of business as usual. Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge concern for me. And you've lived in D.C., you've worked for government, you've worked in philanthropy, you've worked in the nonprofit world. How do we make sure that that doesn't happen, that we, you know, a, a lot of politicians especially have short attention spans and short memories. And I, I, you know, my concern as somebody who works in sort of the advocacy and research world is like, how do we keep this going? I don't, you know, I, I'm hoping every day that this pandemic ends and things end, you know, we're, we're back to a sort of a, a new normal sooner rather than later. But I, you know, I'm still not convinced that we have the leadership that can get us there. And even when the crisis does pass, how do we remind people how important farmers are, how important our, our, um, our, our food workers are, our frontline workers. Uh, how do how do we keep that momentum going, Kristen? Well, I, I, I think it's a couple of things. I mean, one is is just using this moment as an educational moment, 
right? People have time on their hands and they're, re- and they're you know, willing to read right now right. or watch or, you know, whatever. So making sure that we use this moment to really educate about why is the food system failing us right now? Why are people in industrial meat processing plants getting COVID at incredible rates? And, and yet still forced to, to go to work in those plants. You know, right. just bringing awareness and education around, and what are the alternatives? And how are the alternatives are serving people, um, you know, at this moment? And so I think we take this moment to do, you know, a lot of education, um, as well as thinking about, you know, future, future policies. Um, as you know, but, you know, as better than anybody, policy is a, is a you know, it's a long-term game. Right. Um, but what can we be thinking about putting in place now um, or, or thinking about now to put in place, um, you know, once this is over, that is going to help preserve, uh, you know, some of the advances that we've made. Um, and I think, you know, farmers stepping up and consumers stepping up and just saying this, you know, this needs to change. We now understand the difference between Absolutely. the old food system Right. And the new food system. And, you know, we demand as consumers that we keep going along the new food system, you know, line. Yeah, this is a real opportunity for this idea of citizen eaters that Johns Hopkins School of Public Health, the Center for a Livable Future, has talked a lot about. I think some components of the Green New Deal, you know, have this within it. Um, It's just, you know, I guess my question is, you know, you've you've described that farmers have had to pivot so quickly and they've had to take on so much and probably earlier in the season than they thought, right? You know, they're, they're probably trying to plant more to keep up with this demand because we don't know when things will get back to a new normal. I, how concerned are you about sort of their, <laughs> you know, their, their state of mind, their ability to withstand this? Some of these, uh, these folks are probably older farmers too who are more susceptible to COVID-19, how do you know? How, how do we think about protecting our farming populations? Oh, there's you know there's so much there. I mean, I, I, farmers are incredibly resilient and they're incredibly creative and um, and incredibly hardworking. So you know, at, at, at some level, this is you know this is sort of normal. What they're used yeah. to in a way, yeah. but I think there are ways to protect them um, that include uh, creating streamlined, reasonably simple avenues that they might not otherwise have, not to go back to the, to the micro markets, but that is, you know, that is one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and making sure that they are also not taken advantage of. I mean, 100% of the sales right. from these micro markets goes to the farmer. So finding the connections and the, and the infrastructure where we can provide farmers with opportunity um, and, and, you know, give them the, the leg up that they need. Um, I think there's a huge concern, particularly with farm workers. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so both are farms and farmers going to have the assistance that they need? Are they going to have enough farm labor, number one? But number two, what happens to those farm laborers in this crisis, right? How are right. they being protected and fed? and provided with medical care. So there, there's many, many issues, um, you know, associated with that. But I think finding as many uh, 
as as many outlets as as possible for them to just you know to 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 sell the food that they either are growing, we're planning on growing. Um, you know, that's that's what they really need, and that's what Excellent. they really want. And there are many many efforts, um, you know, in in that regard. And it goes back to this sort of explosion in interest in local food at this moment. Um, you know, as Tom, I know, talked to you about. I mean, their business has just, um, you know, has grown yeah, hundreds of amazing. It's just yeah, Free. and and so you know, then they are able to pull that product from from local farms, and you know, just building all of those connections. I also think that um, collaboration among food hubs and among organizations is really, really important. Right. And that is really happening, um, it, which I'm thrilled to see. There are, you know, lots of coalitions and networks of, of hubs that are trading with one another and that are, you know, collaborating to share right. best practices and share ideas. And that's another strength of food hubs and local food systems is that it is so relationship based, whether it's a relationship with the farmer, the relationship with the customer, the relationship among the hubs. And that is proving to be the resilience that we really need in, yeah. in food systems. And it's happening. I mean, food hubs are, are, you know, buying from one another and filling gaps in the supply. And it's, it's, it's really encouraging to see. It is encouraging. And, and I think that collaboration, you know, that was, it's sort of inherent in, in how local and regional food systems and farmers interact with one another. It's not as competitive. I'm sure there is still some competition in place, but I, I think there's a, a more collaborative sort of um, sentiment to, to the way things are done. You know, you, you asked this question before, why is the food system failing? And I often get sort of criticized for saying that we have a broken food system, you know, for some of the reasons that we're seeing today and, and other reasons as well. But there are others who are, you know, saying during this time, big food and big agriculture are making a lot of money off of this pandemic. And, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of thriving in some cases, you know, the, the, what's going on at the meat processing plants is a, a tragedy. And the fact that they're, they're being ordered to stay open is, as is, is a, um, something that, you know, people should be, it, it should be criminal. Um, but how do we sort of, you know, I, I think this crisis has, you know, uh, done a lot of things. It's, you know, encouraged people to cook more. It's encouraged people to look at their local food systems more, but it's also, you know, a lot of people are buying junk food and they're, you know, they're buying off, you know, websites that get it directly to their house and, and that kind of thing. So how do we sort of figure out those two things, you know, how do, how do we reconcile them? It's a big question. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a huge question. And, and you're absolutely right that the, um, particularly the processed food industry is going to benefit enormously from this crisis. Um, and we can, uh, you know, we see it all the time in what's go and, and, and we see it especially, um, you know, not benefiting a lot of the communities that, um, you know, that really need to have other types of food, right? I mean, all of the, so much of the food that is going into the emergency feeding system is, you know, is, is that type of food. I guess I would just, um, I have a note of hope in the sense that um, the demand that we've seen just, and, and, you know, and we are just, we are a small 
you know, node in a, right. in a very big system, but I think it's happening um, across the, across the board with food hubs that I'm talking to, you know, all over the place where it's not only high end customers that are seeking, you know, fresh local food to, you know, to supplement the other things that they're, um, you know, that they're bringing into their homes. It is these feeding programs and it is people who, um, I mean, go back to that concept of like food, for, food with dignity. The people who have participated in our first pharmacy program for the last five years absolutely value and recognize the value of the type of food that they right. are getting through this program. And I don't think that they're going to go back to, I mean, there is, you know, there are limitations, right? And there are all kinds yeah. of um structural problems with uh, with accessing that kind of food and co cost and pricing and all of those kinds of things. But they value that food so much and in really important ways and being able to cook for yourself and being able to, you know, enjoy a fresh piece of fruit and enjoy, um, you know, very culturally appropriate because it's local food that they, you know, saw growing up. It's, right. It is a... It is a concept that I think is taking hold and taking hold particularly right now, despite the ubiquitousness and the, and the power of the industrial process, you know, food industry. I guess I just have to hang on to that hope and what we're seeing, you know, seeing the response that, um, that we get to, you know, to this type of food and this type of eating. Well, I mean, and, I think a lot of, no, go please go ahead. Nope. No, I was just going to make a mention of, of, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of programs are also using that type of food and, and, and doing prepared meals. Um, right. You know, we're, we're doing it around here Four p is doing it. And that is hugely appreciated too. And is, um, I think, demonstrating to people that this is actually how we should be eating. Right. And not ordering processed food, you know, uh, over the internet. Sure, sure. No, I think you're on target with all of that. I mean, I've seen people and heard from friends who, you know, have you know haven't ever ordered from a CSA before, who are suddenly interested in their local CSA, and that's really encouraging to me. To you know, because those are folks who haven't been sort of involved in this very personal way before, and it's because they're seeing the shortages at the grocery store and they're not able to get everything they need or want online in terms of fresh food. So I'm very, very encouraged by it. Um, Kristen, you know, we don't know. These are the most uncertain times probably any of us have ever experienced. And we don't know how long the crisis will last. What kinds of resources and, you know, scaffolding and infrastructure do farmers and eaters need if, if this lasts well into the fall and in and, and the winter? What kinds of things do you think need to be in place? Um, so a couple of things. I mean, one of the challenges that farmers are facing is having to pivot their businesses from um, more wholesale uh, type businesses to direct to consumer. So that requires an, an entirely different system of handling, packaging, um, IT to keep track of inventory. I mean, all of those kinds of things are, are real challenges that, that farmers are facing. Um, so we have a number of programs in place that, you know, to try to help with that. Food safety, you know, was already a growing issue. 
pre-COVID and continues to be an issue. Um, some of the programs that we're seeing, some of the support programs through USDA and so forth that are springing up really require, you know, some certifications that a lot of small and medium-sized farmers maybe don't have. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's a bit of a challenge. Um, so we are trying to look uh, forward and, um, and think about how we, uh, you know, assist farmers to, to, to pivot and address, you know, a number of those, um, a number of those issues. So that's, you know, those are some of the things we're seeing in terms of, um, in terms of, you know, long-term challenges. Well, and you, as you've said before, you know, farmers have, have taken on this challenge, they've pivoted, they've, you know, done all these amazing things so that, you know, they can do more. Um, as needed, I'm sure. But I, I also think um, some federal dollars would probably help them out uh, if if we can. Absolutely, and you know, and I, I will say, you know, that the 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 state at both the state and the federal level, um, there there is attention to this. There is you know more activity than I've seen in a good long time. There are a number of programs, uh, both for. Um, you know, for hubs and supporting organizations, as well as directly for farmers. And so I think we just need to keep an eye on those programs, make sure that the resources are getting to the people that, you know, really need them and really getting to the to the farmers and that they have support to, to access those those funds. Um, you know, everything is happening at such a rapid pace, right? It's, you know, it's incredible. And for them to have to keep up with you know, pivoting their businesses, doing normal growing, and then also trying to access these funds. It is, it is really challenging, but there are so many organizations that are stepping up to the plate and helping with the connection with those, um, with those resources and so forth. It's, you know, it, it is, it is encouraging to see. That is. And it goes back to that collaboration you mentioned and how people are pulling together at this time, especially around things like doing all that paperwork for loans. When, when you have people in place who can do that, it takes, you know, the, the farmers can do their actual jobs, which is growing the food that we all need. You know, you, you work with so many amazing people and have, you know, this, this really strong community in, in Virginia. Is, is there a person or an organization who is inspiring you uh, right now, kind of keeping you going? Oh my gosh. Um, there are so many, it would be, it would be hard to it would be hard to name just one. I mean, truly, I, I, I mean that. I mean, every one of the partners that I've mentioned um, is a total inspiration and a total, um, uh, you know, st we're all gathering strength from, you know, from one another. And sure. I think where we really gather a lot of our inspiration and strength is from the farmers themselves. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's what it comes down to is there's, um, sure. there is nothing more inspiring than, um, than, participating with them in, you know, in, in, in build it and they are at the, they are at the root of it. So. That's amazing. Um, for folks who want more information about Kristen's work, they can go to localfoodhub.org or 4pfoods.com. Uh, Kristen, you've been a pleasure. Thank you for inspiring us. We really appreciate it. Um, again, this pod, sorry, this live cast will also be on our podcast, Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. Uh, so please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And to, please join me uh, tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern when I'll be talking to jo Joseph Schmidhuber from the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. Thank you, Kristen. Please stay well. Thank you. You too. It's a pleasure. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast. 
Make sure to return to foodtank.com every day for original reporting and analysis on the most pressing issues impacting our food system. 